Thanks for joining us now on KVCR4, KVC Arts, Arts and Entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. On this edition of the program, we welcome Anushka Shankar. I spoke with her in the spring when she was set to perform with orchestra, a concerto by her father, the late Ravi Shankar. We spoke about that, but then turned our attention to her tour with a couple of stops in our region in late October. It's announced on your website as Anushka Shankar and Quintet. So what would you be playing in the quintet form? I think I found one piece out there, but are we talking mm-hmm. about different pieces, some breathing underwater or some of the... Uh... Yeah, so this is a really exciting new band that I formed in advance of my first India tour since the pandemic last winter. And we were playing a mix of, you know, music of mine from across albums. But as I always love to do, like in completely new arrangements, new forms, like inspired by who the musicians are that I'm with now. And by the time I'm here in October, I will also have new music out. So I'll be releasing a mini album at that point. And so, you know, we will definitely be focusing on some of the new music alongside music from across albums, whether that's Traveler to Traces of You, Breathing Underwater and so on. And it's honestly, I can't stress how amazing these musicians are. I'll be there with percussion, both drum kit and South Indian percussion, clarinet and upright bass alongside sitar. And so it's a very unusual instrumental arrangement that I feel like I can really move through worlds with in a fun way. It really is. And now that you've described that setup, I believe I did find a clip of this not horribly long. I mean, it's eight minutes, eight, 12 minutes, I'm not sure, but it was that setup. And that is one of the things that I noticed was that instead of oh, a guy tuning the tabla for 45 minutes, we've just got a drum cut. Then, yes, the stand-up bass. It was really a mix between, I don't want to say classical, I don't want to overuse that term, but the sitar mixed with Western instruments and the Western Mm -hmm. rhythm section, I should say, in the world of jazz, one might say. Now, this is, again, going back some time, not quite 25 years, but... (laughs) Following your initial classical Indian works, the first maybe three, maybe four albums, I think, we got Rise. And, oh, I just, I love this one. And, oh my gosh, yes. You know, I've been such a follower of so many different types of music and even producing music shows, anywhere from the New Age ambient to uh, world fusion and different types of things with that. But while I don't have access to a physical copy anymore, I've actually gone online to YouTube and just listen, start to finish, on rise Mm. so what i'd like to hear about is if you could take yourself back to that oh gosh you'd been in your 20s by this point talk about when this was coming together please and i don't mean really the time of recording and release but Mm -hmm. when and how maybe it was when you started getting into the edm and looking at more textures Mm -hmm. and thicker sounds So yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I was 25 when it was released. And I feel like it was, even though the age is a little later, it was sort of like my musical college years, you know? So I made these three classical albums that I think, you know, it's less about the fact that it's classical, even though that's an important part of it, but they were my father's compositions and it was the music that I had learned. And I felt that really deep desire that, you know, I recognize now if I was a creative person or an artist, that desire was a very inherent desire to make music that really came from me 
And I wasn't analyzing that from the outside, that it had to be a mix of, say, Indian and Western sounds. It wasn't about that as much as for it to feel authentically like it was coming from my soul and coming from me. And so I took a long pause. It was like the first time since I was 13 that I stopped touring and created that space for myself that I wasn't working under pressure and worked in this really fantasy way, you know, where I was going and hanging out with friends whose music I loved and the type of fantasy I had as a classical musician of what it was like to be in a band, you know, where you'd be doing these late night sessions and having fun together and then getting experimental. Like, you know, some of the sound effects on there are literally me tapping a pen on a bottle and then filling it up with water and tapping it and just being really, really free. You know, it was like my first experiment of just being really free not intimidated in a recording studio. That was my experience of finding myself rise. So, you know, I love that you highlighted it because that feels like that was my real first baby. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was a beauty. I mean, even in parts where, you know, it still had, of course, I mean, you can't escape the sound of the sitar. It has a feel and it takes you certain places. But with this, there is the fuller, richer sound, uh, rounder tones, if you will, coming at you yes. from all around. And, so I guess this is where you're talking about the pedals, much like a guitarist would use for delays or loops or maybe even MIDI. Exactly. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much a sitar player, but I'm also a composer. And so even though my sitar is my most comfortable way of speaking, mm -hmm. that particular acoustic sitar voice isn't always the sound that I'm hearing. You yeah, know? Yeah. And so it really broadens the palette to be able to just think in these more lateral ways about how the sound can be. And so, yeah, that definitely started with Rise, you know, exploring electronic music and textures. And, you know, coming back to that as a 24 year old, that was a deep part of my life, just outside of my touring existence. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had these sort of split personalities of all these different worlds that I was in and, and really just wanted to bring them together and I think now there's a different language to that I feel like there's a diaspora of all kinds you know that speaks about these same things of feeling like they're half this and half that and needing to you know write the film or make the album or write the play or the book that is all of the things that they are and that's been my experience in my lifetime of trying to fully represent what it means to be all these things sure yeah all these things that's a lot yeah <laughs> I also read, maybe this is jumping years, but it seems like there's a parallel here. I've actually been to Goa. I'd read that this is where the phrase that I think you used, maybe this was just a brilliant publicist or this was your words, but using different colors to paint the same picture. That mm -hmm. spoke... Oh, that was definitely me. And okay. <laughs> well, that spoke a lot to me. I wonder if you could flesh that out. You sort of touched on that, mm -hmm. but it's a beautiful way of yeah. speaking. And I think a lot of people, though, don't think in terms of audio with colors, but I know what you're saying. If you could translate this? Yeah. So I think for me, that was very much about, not to get too heavy, but it was about a certain spiritual journey as well, where I grew up being taught very deeply a form of music that's known for being, you know, quote unquote spiritual, in that it can take the listener to a certain meditative state when it's played a certain way, or that it can be a spiritual path for the artist as well. So I learned it in that way. And then, for example, when I started doing yoga much later, I recognized what was being said, you know, not because I'd ever done yoga before, but because I realized it was the same path as what I was doing in music. You know, the act of showing up to a practice, the act of showing up to an impulse, to following a journey, to being in the moment. And obviously my deepest immersion in that was through the beauty of raga music and how it could take you there. 
But then in my other life where I was a teenager and I was friends with musicians and DJs and, you know, go up in particular was a big part of my life for a good decade. I was there every winter and that was my time off that I would protect and go and let my hair down and be, you know, the other side of me. But I would find that same thing on the dance floor, you know, and it's like the music in a genre sense, it couldn't be further away than like deeply classical acoustic music to like fully hardcore, dark you know, immersive electronic music being played so loudly it blows your ears out, you know? But the experience of going into that kind of hypnotic trance and dancing, I was like, oh my God, it's all the same. (laughs) And I think we all find that in different ways, but I think that was my curiosity was like, there's a root in this that is me as a human searching for a soul connection through all these different forms. They're just different means to the same end. Nice. Oh, that's beautifully stated. Thank you. Thank you for elaborating on your own. Uh, I was really <laughs> asking to clarify your own thoughts. So there we go. <laughs> Going back to some of these, I think, earlier works, but again, a departure pretty far from the initial classically driven works. Breathing Underwater, I mentioned this one earlier, and it's another very much a standout one for me. Uh, this was with Karsh Calais. I, of course, have a question about Sting. But first, talk about how this collaboration mm-hmm. began with Akarsh. Sometimes it's as simple as a jam session that, my God, why weren't we recording? Yeah. Yeah? Pretty much. Like, I didn't know him as well as some of the friends in common that we have initially. The Medieval Pundits, for example, are a, a really beautiful electronic music duo from New Delhi, and they were part of Tabla Beat Science with Kirsch. And one of them, Gaurav Rena, was the person who helped me on the full production electronic side on Rise. So we had this big overlap of friends, and then we met through them, and I think we went to, like, one or two parties and then ended up all in New York at the same time and did, like, one of those random hotel room hangs where it was, like, oh my sitar is upstairs and you're you know, let's just do something and and we ended up writing the root melody to what became three of the songs on breathing underwater the one that sting sings sea dreamer um the core melody we did that night and you know my poor flutist who was on tour with me we called him up at three in the morning we're like please can you wake up and play this line we have to hear it on the flute. i mean it was ridiculous it was it was just a flow you know and so from that we were like okay let's do some more same tie that drew me close Pushed me far away I held the hand that lit the dark light Nothing I could say I was on the outside I was waiting for a sign I set a course for a hidden island That lived beyond the deceiving silence I was on the dark side you mentioned Sea Dreamer, yeah, featuring Sting. So many of these, now that I'm looking back and saying them out loud, it's like, wow, man, how did this come about, dude? So, But uh, <laughs> but really, how did you get Sting? I'm curious if this was maybe an extension of when you performed as part of the either Rock for the Rainforest or the Concert for George Benefit concerts. You've right? done your homework. <laughs> uh, yeah, I met Sting a few years before Breathing Underwater. Actually, it was initially through his wife, Trudy Styler. She had put on a benefit 
for Tibet in London when I was 18. And it was like one of my first very surreal benefit concert experiences where like, you know, two people before me was Madonna reading a poem and <laughs> Alan Rickman was on right after me. I mean, it was just this extraordinary night and I met Mick Jagger for the first time and I was just like totally overwhelmed by this world. But Trudy, you know, I think she was fond of me. I was 18 and she kind of took me under her wing a little bit. So I got to know Sting through her. And she brought him to my show when I played near their home and invited us to stay. And I had this really surreal experience of him playing me happy birthday on his lute. Um, Whoa! It was extraordinary. It was just all very surreal, but they were just always very, very lovely and sweet to me. And so fast forward years later, you know, it's not like we were best friends or anything, but we were loosely in contact and we had this song that genuinely felt like it might be a good fit for him. So I was like, this is a long reach, but might you consider? And he did. Wow. Was Sting the person that you actually had in mind when it was written, or did it sort of when call we, out after we, the fact? When we turned it into a song, we had him in mind. It was an okay. instrumental that we already loved very much, but mm. as we started turning it into a song, it was like, this is, you know, Kirsch really stepped forward on that as this kind of obsessive police fan and was like, <laughs> I know how to write this so that it's a Sting song, you know? <laughs> uh, um, you know, was really active on that side, yeah. It's only love It's only love You know how it feels Also on Breathing Underwater, your father is featured on one track. You could say one track, or you could say the first of three movements, I think, mm-hmm. on this one. I don't have it in front of me. But also your sister, Nora, Nora mm-hmm. Jones, folks, is on another so similar to my question about Sting, were these tunes which called out for Nora or for Ravi, or were they in mind already? With them, we had them in mind and then made for them. I mean, in my dad's case, it was simply us playing in studio and he let it, you know, and we let him do what he does and built around it. And in my sister's case, she and I wrote together first and then Kirsch stepped in. And I think for me, it was like, because I was working on a collaborative album for the first time, I felt a bit more emboldened to do the kind of things that I was nervous of. Mm. So, you know, while on one side I was keen to carve out my own identity and make an album like Rise, when I was working with friends, I felt a bit more able to go, you know what, but I love my sister and I love her music. And so what if I want to work with my sister? It's not me, you know, using her on my record or something like that. It just it just felt more like as we were already a group. And so we were extending the group by inviting more people. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Oh, you know, speaking of which, I just have to say congratulations. And, you know, talking about Nora, congratulating you on the, gosh, I get nine Grammy nominations by now. And then, (laughs) my God. Although another part of me is like, congratulations on the nominations, but I don't know if that's a slap in the face because you didn't win. (laughs) But the nomination is phenomenal. And anyway, just really cool. And I didn't want to sound like one of those how excited are you today? But uh, yeah, it was it was great to be nominated again this year, and it had a little extra boost that I was nominated in two different categories, and that just didn't you know hadn't happened to me before. So it had like a like the first time sort of excitement level, and I know where your train of thought went because you saw me with my sister there, and yeah. that was obviously a really fun thing because she and I were together. 20 years ago, we had our first nominations at the same time, and that was my first time losing, and that was the year she won all the awards that was to win. All of them, yeah. Um, All of them. But, you know, 20 years later, it's extraordinary as sisters to be able to have an experience like that again. So, yeah, it felt wonderful. That's just too cool on that. (laughs) 
You're listening to KVCR. It's on 91.9 KVCR, also at kvcrnews.org. I'm David Fleming. On this edition of the program, Anushka Shankar. The Anushka Shankar Quintet will be in our region soon. Earlier, we heard about some of her music through her releases, and now going a bit beyond. couple of things. I'll be asking about Herbie Hancock and the Imagine Project coming up, but I think first, such a powerful item in her name. This is something people have to look up, and I'll let them know how to do this. Very powerful. This seems to have been a collaborative intersection of music and dance and poetry. Mm -hmm. Would you expand, please, on that all-too-brief statement about how this came together and the people involved? Well, first of all, thank you. I'm glad you brought up this song. It's my latest release. It came out in December to mark the 10-year anniversary of the horrific gang rape and murder of Jyoti Singh Pandey in New Delhi, which I'm sure you remember. Oh, yeah. um, so 10 years ago when that had originally happened, like everyone, you know, I'm not unique in this, I was deeply affected by, by hearing about what had happened to her and about the sort of all-too-common story, but particularly violent in a way that it struck us, but it was all too common and and I wrote a song at the time called In Jyoti's Name just in honor of her and it was on an album called Traces of You but fast forward 10 years and you know through the pandemic and before but again there were sort of one news story after another you know every couple of months or so something particularly gut churning would come up and and I just found myself feeling aware of this 10 year anniversary coming up and was really struck by how a decade could pass from when the whole world seemed to stop from how particularly horrific a story was, but then 10 years later, nothing's really changed. And so I wanted to mark the anniversary in her memory, but also really broadening out from her specifically to the fact that the whole problem is how many people like her there are and have been and continue to be and in different ways. I mean, there were stories all around the world about you know, the violence or policing of women's bodies that was happening. And it just felt like this onslaught that needed to come out. So do not forget her name. Remember her. And so I took that original piece in Jyoti's name and opened it up and extended it as an instrumental piece and then invited my dear friend, the incredible poet Nikita Gill, on board to write more explicitly. I wanted to be much more explicit this time, so to write words you know, that, that expressed the sort of rage I knew we shared. And then from there, as you say, I felt like it had an energy to it that needed to be expressed visually as well. So I invited you know, a very, very close friend who's like a sister to me, an incredible dancer, choreographer, Maithili Prakash, who lives in this part of the world, actually, she's LA-based, to choreograph and dance, and we made a beautiful short film to go with it. So as you say, it's a combination of music and spoken word poetry and dance, but really at heart just me inviting other sisters, other women who felt the same way I did, to share in an expression. Beautiful. Some of the dance is just so powerful with the, I mean, I'm just <laughs> a hand circling the breast and then going into a choking position and then 
wiping away a person's face almost. And so yes. it was just incredible yeah. when I saw She's it. She's an incredible dancer and choreographer. And I've found for years that she really makes me feel something in the pit of my stomach, you know? And you're exactly right. Like she can take the simplest of movements and it has so much power. Yeah. The dance, by the way, takes place not only in an urban environment, but with people just walking by, not even noticing. But then I suppose that may be the point of it. Mm -hmm. that they didn't yeah. notice. And I really credit Maithali, the choreographer dancer, with that idea. Like, she just really came on board and had this sense of, like, you know, I want to shoot it in the dark, but I also want to shoot it in broad daylight where people just are walking by because this is exactly how it happened. And I think there's so much impact to watching her. You know, she's so striking visually on that shot with her red silk, and yet it looks like no one else can see her. It's, oh, and I have to admit at this point that I didn't know that it was for this 10-year anniversary of this, but it was very striking to me because of, due to some recent interviews, I've been reading more and more about murdered and missing indigenous women and girls. And so this really connected in so many ways and had the same, same impact, I think, just powerful, mm -hmm. punch in the gut. Yeah, People... you're right. I mean, I think it can be pinned sadly too many current events you know if we think of you know u.s law it can be pinned to one thing if we think of iran it's another if it's india it's another yeah. there is this global overarching tragedy you know? people can go to youtube to see this just simply look for anushka shankar in her name Oh my God, what a horrible <laughs> transition to go from this to, okay, now Herbie Hancock, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you work on that later. <laughs> yeah, I'll just be slipping this around. We'll be right back with this. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm a Herbie Hancock nut, whether it's okay. the mainstream straight ahead stuff or the fusion. And then when his Imagine project came out, I was just excited, doesn't even say it. But the One Piece, including you, I mean, Wayne Shorter, Chaka Khan. I know. Oh, good God. I mean, so first of all, how did that even happen? Did you did you actually get a call from Herbie one day? Yes. Um, what? Yes. <laughs> well, it was extraordinary because he was actually in India to do a very rare series of concerts there. And so it had been set up that he was going to do a lecture, a talk at my father's music center. Mm. And so... I hosted that and met him there, and he, in pure Herbie Hancock fashion, invited me impulsively to be a guest on his show that evening. And I got really shy and scared, <laughs> not because I'd, I'd literally come back from Goa the day before, so I hadn't even picked up a sitar in like weeks, you know, and <laughs> I've been on holiday. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't. And there was one point where he just stopped and like looked me in the eyes and was like, Anushka, I'm asking you to play with me. And I was like, I'm saying no to Herbie Hancock. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so I jumped on the show and it was, it's stating the obvious, but it was an extraordinary experience. And I loved, loved getting to play with him. And it was just magic. And he was, you know, researching and recording and asked me to come in to do sessions that week. So I went and played on the song. And at that point, 
you know, I think Shaka Khan had already recorded at that point, so it was about adding in the tabla and the sitar and the Indian vocals, and it was, yeah, just a very surreal, wonderful day. Wow. So not everybody came together and composed together. He had it. No, and then... it was much more. He already had a song that I think he and I think Wayne Shorter had worked on quite extensively, and I'm not sure beyond that the background of the song, but I came in more as a guest. Gotcha. For Gotcha. The way it plays out, it has the same build as one might find in a lot of, let's say, in a lot of ragas, and a lot of the pieces that one will find on Rise or Breathing Underwater, you'll have that same kind of build with the well, thicker I, and thicker. I, what I loved about working with him, and that's obviously that's the type of music he makes and comes from, but he was with us and playing with us and listening very closely, and it was very much about a flow and it's really interesting because when doing guest appearances and i've gotten a bit more specific about this when i do guest appearances now but in the past i would you know do a guest appearance and then leave and then later you know obviously people are making their own songs the way they need their song to be so there's a complete argument for that but on the flip side they don't necessarily know my instrument or my musical style so i've sometimes been shocked by the time something's released months later at what actually ends up oh yeah on, you know there could be some crazy splice where like <laughs> you know, the few people who know my instrument would be like, uh, that's <laughs> not. <laughs> but with him, it was very much an authentic played experience. So yeah, I love that. It was what we played is what the track is. I'd seen some of the behind the scenes stuff on the Imagine Project and we had artists, I, I can't remember which ones they were, but they would come in saying, okay, Herbie, I'm trying to come up with something like you would do. And he's like, no, man, I want something like you would do. Exactly. And so, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, very much so. At this point, I really should call it because my next segment would have been asking about acting and composing for film, one of which is such an incredible one. I mean, one of India's first, earliest films ever that you scored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called Shiraz, and it's one of the first three films ever made in India. It was made in 1927, and the British Film Institute had an archival copy of it that they restored so beautifully and brought back to life a few years ago and asked me to do a full score to this silent film. And, you know, it was such an incredible, challenging experience. I was so naive. I thought that taking on a silent film would be a great first film to do because it's more like doing what I know how to do. But obviously anyone who works in film was like, hey, you just took on like a solid film length amount of music to write as compared to what we write for a modern film and it's maybe 20 minutes or, you know. (laughs) But, you know, it was such a joy and it was so fulfilling that it's turned into another, you know, it's one of the things I tour. I have, you know, multiple different things that I tour and touring and playing live to that film is one of the great joys of my performing life because it's just this whole other incredible experience and and also i must just quickly say that i found the act of composing for something other than my own music and albums really fulfilling as well and i feel like you know that avenue of composing for film theater is is something i really want to do more of too It's been Music and Conversation with Anushka Shankar for the entirety of this edition of KVC Arts. She'll be in the region soon in quintet form in Orange on October 21st and Northridge on the 22nd. Again, more at anushkashankar.com. 
Thanks again to Anushka and here at KVCR. Thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, and Sharina Wad. Find many past KVCR's programs via podcast through iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, and Google Play, and more still at kvcrnews.org slash arts. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support. And with that, a reminder that you can give any time of the year. You don't have to wait for the membership campaigns. Give at kvcrnews.org slash support. And thanks again.